Welcome to the Color Timer Podcast. I am your host, Vincent Taylor. This is the podcast where we speak to professionals who work with color. Today, we're speaking to a man who needs no introduction, Mr. Peter Doyle. Peter is a colorist who has worked on everything from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Harry Potter, very recently Creed III, beautiful film. Uh, one of my favorites also is The Tragedy of Macbeth. This is the first episode I recorded. Uh, I've kind of pushed it back a little bit because it was a bit clunky. Certainly not because of Peter. Uh, I was very nervous, and you'll see it in the interview or hear it in the interview. I did the best I could. Uh, once again, I'll be using the 15-minute sand timer to keep the conversation focused. Uh, actually, you'll see in that, I didn't even know where to put the color timer at that stage. I, I think it's right next to me or something like that. It's all, it's all a bit over the place, but it's a great conversation and really worth listening to the way that Peter um, articulates the work that he does. He's a very, very interesting fella, so I hope you enjoy it. Take your seats because the hourglass is about to turn. We are entering the world of the micro podcast. Explore the craft, creativity, and science of professionals who use color to tell stories. Welcome to The Color Timer with Vincent Taylor. Peter, welcome and thank you for taking time out to have a chat to me. Oh, thank you. It's uh, good fun to be here. I, I've, I've developed this little idea, uh, and, I've, and I've got my little color timer here to make it all very dramatic um, and to keep our, our chat uh, within the 15 minutes. We'll see how we go. Um, are you ready? I'll pretend I'm on Jeopardy. I'll, I'll send you a list of prizes later. Uh, all right, well, here we go. I've officially turned the color timer. Uh, and the first one is is a pretty simple question. How would you explain your job? Uh, yes, I change the color of moving images uh, with the goal of matching shots to match together so that they have a continuous sequence. Uh, and then use color to imply a time of day and a season, summer, winter. And then... Um, using shading and, and modeling and shadows uh, enhance the set and the architecture so that it uh, reads within the lenses and reproduces. Um, and then use whatever you can think of to enhance the body language uh, of the actors and hopefully the performance. How would you, how would you distinguish... Uh, or would you distinguish between uh, craft and creativity? Yeah. Uh, craft is really the what and how, and creativity is why, um, that, in summary. Mm. And um, do you are you conscious of that balancing act, or is it it's just all kind of intuitive? Uh, oh, yes, but... Particularly in the, in the field of grading, uh, uh, a, a lot of clients aren't quite sure how to kind of interact with a colorist uh, or how to actually explain what they want. Uh, so the, the technology can get a little bit um, overwhelming um, 
And then just depending on the type of personality and how you approach your craft, it, it, it can be you can allow the technology to kind of take over uh, the creativity. And there's, there's not too many clients that react very positively to the use of like very technical terms. So it's always a balancing act of explaining quite technical words in a very emotional way. And I think that's actually part of the uh, uh, responsibility of a colorist is to create an environment where the filmmakers can explain what they want and feel that they're actually understood using their own language and not necessarily have to be or, or, or assume that they need to understand what a, yeah. a tone map or a gamma is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and I find that as well, it's it, to, to get that out of people's heads without kind of overwhelming them with, with all, all the technical mumbo jumbo. Um, uh, so here's the setup. You're about to begin a new project and who, who starts speaking to you about color? The director, the cinematographer, yeah, uh, typically it's a director. Uh, sorry, uh, t- typically it's 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 a director of photography or, or the DP. Um, then we'll talk, and then he'll introduce me to the director, uh, and then we'll go there. Sometimes that's reversed. There'll be a director who would like to use me, and then they'll introduce me to the DP. And then sometimes there is a studio or a producer that will try a bit of a um, blind date and see if we all get along and then um, see how it goes from there. And, and when they do speak to you about color, uh, how does that work? Do they give you references? Is, uh, and if that's the case, how do you interpret that? I mean, how do you pull the sensibilities from a reference as opposed to just copying those references? Uh, yeah, but, it it really breaks down to whether there is a so there are some DPs that I work with that will just present me the script as soon as they have one, um, and it's expected to have a discussion and an opinion. Or uh, then there are other DPs that uh, sometimes the scripts actually don't exist. There's just a beat sheet, so that that's a little more ethereal about what's discussed. Ah. Um, uh, and uh, interestingly, it's almost the more expensive the film is or the higher the budget, the less likely there actually is a script. But that's another discussion. Um, so in, in terms of explaining what they want to do, uh, again, it, it will depend if I've worked with the, the team before, at which point we will have kind of established our own like little language and set of references if it's somebody that that we're working with new um there's really the encouragement to just have a stream of consciousness and just use as many references and as languages uh, uh, um, as possible so that we can slowly just develop the language unto ourselves um so that the, the, it's it's uh, a bit bit like when um, kids are kind of playing together, uh, and certainly not going into the, like the Lord of the Flies type feral, but they, they start to develop like their own like little language, and I, I consider grading is very much like that. 
certainly the more experienced DPs and the very experienced directors will, will have a kind of common language and there is an industry language. Um, but uh, first-time directors um, may not necessarily have that language and I think that's absolutely fine. It's just uh, it's actually good fun to kind of build a new language. Mm. Yeah. Um, I've I've got a I've got a I don't normally do the quote thing, but I I really love this quote, and I thought it might be an interesting one for you. Um, so I've got written down. Um, uh, so the artist Andrew Wyeth, who I love his painting so much, he said, "If if one could only catch that true color of nature, the very thought of it drives me mad." And and that provokes this question: Do you think that um, we can only truly experience color, uh, or do you think we can capture it and reproduce it? Uh, well, I think unless you're building a truly immersive environment uh, or a immersive experience, a, a color is, is you, you will by definition be decontextualizing the color. So if you are if you create a scene and then try to reproduce it, by definition, you have now decontextualized it from the, you know, the four other senses. So you won't smell it, you won't feel it. Um, so uh, unless you're doing smell vision or something, um, and then then you you just have the the technical uh, considerations. Of which you actually have no control on, which is the light and chromatic adaptation, and then you have metameric failure. So no, no matter what the reproducing media is that you choose, there, there will be compromises. And then the last is, in fact, the uh, cultural uh, responses that your imagery will be invoking so to reproduce a color is extremely dependent on a the environment and the context with which you have captured that color but then you are reproducing that color so you know you have this almost arrogant assumption that the viewing audience will in react to that color culturally the same way that you do um uh, I mean, you, you yourself have worked in, in the Asian markets quite a lot, so the, the whole reaction to green and red is, is very different to a Western environment. Wow, and, uh, yes. I, I, I think that the best example on, on a very, very simplistic level is the reproduction of a wedding in terms of photos is a completely different experience back in, say, the 80s and 90s if you chose Kodak stock or Fuji stock. Uh, mm. So uh, I think it will always be a reproduction because uh, unless you're trying to build a, a completely immersive environment. That's that's fascinating. Like those other factors, of course they come into play. You know, that's 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 amazing. Uh, met, metameric failure, what, what is that? Uh, it, it's in simple terms that the, the reproduction of color will look different depending on the lights that it's reproduced uh, the most famous would be um, like a black party dress depending on the fabric will look uh, magenta maybe under um, sunlight 
whereas oh, it will look yes. tungsten inside. And it, it's also dependent on people. So two people can view the same. Um, uh, if you have like an organic pigment, uh, a red will uh, reproduce and be received as red by kind of both people. If that red is reproduced on, say, an OLED or, or a narrowband laser projector, uh, different people will actually receive uh, uh, that and perceive the red as, in fact, different versions of red. Uh, and that, that's sort of one of the problems with laser projectors at the moment, that um, wow. three, three people can all sit in the same room and look at the same image but actually see the colors as slightly different uh, and, and because that doesn't necessarily happen in, in nature as such, because you're not reproducing it, um, it, it becomes a problem. I mean, it's a huge um, uh, consideration, say, in, in the car industry for, uh, you know, the colors of cars. But it, it's becoming quite a thing now with uh, the move to laser projectors. And then you have, like, Dolby Vision's answer by having six primaries and, and the Barco projector. So that, that that all means that to just reproduce a color can get a little tricky. This this prompts another question in my brain. Uh, it, it, we can do different things with color grading, right? We can do so many different things. Why is it that a color grade can, can continually be different? Why doesn't it ultimately go, you know what, I've seen that look before. Oh, I've seen that look before. But the work you do, everything you do, I go, man, that's a different look again. How can there be so many variables for a look? Uh, well, I, I guess I, I'm personally really driven by why as opposed to uh, an homage is not uh, – to do an homage I, I, I think is a great technical exercise and it's actually really good fun. And it's also a very good way to learn and to practice and to, again, actually just teach yourself to, to be able to get back to why. Um, uh, the, the challenge there is that it, it, you can be perceived as, in fact, being somewhat technical. So it's almost like you have to do that in the background or, in fact, be a closet techno nerd. Um, so... In terms of the different looks, that's because I don't really uh, um, approach it as a look. It, it really, at least on on the more what I would consider the more successful grades I've done, it's really been approached from a very political um, and a, a very contextual. Uh, as pretentious as that sounds, uh, from a, a, a viewpoint, as in, if, if, for example, Tragedy and Macbeth, uh, when, when Bruno and Joel made the approach, and it was like, uh, we're going to do Macbeth, and uh-huh, okay, uh, and we're going to do it black and white, it's like, okay. Um, and then, um, because we had developed a shorthand over the previous films. It was like, okay, are there any kind of buzzwords? And, and, and the, the buzzwords was really, were really, um, minimalist, pure, and um, free of sentimental or, or uh, homage-like artifacts. It wasn't to feel vintage in any way. 
And then the last word from Bruno the Delbano, the DP, which was echoing the words of Joel, who was echoing his own adaptation, was it's all about the rhythm. So if you ask why, and we take, say, something like, so why does Macbeth look the way it does? The, the, it's not about, well, it looks like uh, St. Joan of Arc or, or any like the classic black and white films. It's more like, why did we get there? And the, the core or the political or the contextual was that Joel was too completely enamored with the rhythm of Shakespeare's writing. And then that became an adaptation in terms of the script. So therefore, the um, Fran and, and, and Denzel were delivering their lines with that in mind. Because, so it was all about the rhythm. And then likewise, that then became part of the body language of where they move. And then um, Bruno was interpreting that, that rhythm and the blocking so that there were like waves uh, and so forth. So then if, if I take the concept of rhythm, well, rhythm is a sine wave or a triangle wave, and therefore that's light, so therefore it's shadow, wow. uh, and therefore you can simply say it's like a gamma curve or an S. Um, so the, so w when I say why, it's not like a petulant child just saying why, why, why. It, it's more like to just keep what, what, what is the essence or the kind of the, the, what was the intellectual attraction uh, but to this particular project by the core filmmakers, which is you know typically way back to you know the script writer and what is the story. Mm -hmm. So then, if the story, or for example, we take uh, Inside Llewellyn Davis uh, with Joel and Ethan, um, you know, wh why did they write this story? Well, the, the why is about sadness and loss so then 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 that means that you can then come up with your own interpretation of what what is sadness so then uh, and loss so for example i just interpreted loss as well there's a loss of color and a loss of life so what what would happen if you like lose the color um but within the discipline of, well, it's set in the 60s and our memory of 60s and obviously the very famous Bob Dylan album cover, Walking Up the Street, w was a, a black and white, but the original photo was color. So it, it then actually becomes quite a technical thing, but that it, that's where the kind of contextual and the philosophical comes into it. So that that's perhaps why I would like to think my grades tend to be very different because... Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm not overlaying the same technique. That the technique is is truly what it is. It's technique. But if if you go after the the story to ask why, and then work with you know the person who's lighting this thing, yeah, and to help them reproduce that light, uh, then then I think that that will take you somewhere. Um that feels a little more holistic and a, a, a little more, um, in a funny way, it feels a little more obvious. As in, well, of course, that's how it should look. 
man, I'm just going. My my friend uh, said to me, I, to, I told him about the the idea of doing the podcast. He goes, "What are you going to do when the sand timer runs out and you're on a really good vein?" I'm going, "I know, I don't know." And and now I feel like I'm 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 in this dream and I don't want to wake up because it, this is freaking amazing hearing all this and and I've got so many other questions but I can't do them. Those are the rules. Yeah. Um. Uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh, uh, Peter! I um, I was I was so anxious and nervous before I started talking to you because I'm I'm in awe of the work that you do, and I mean oh, that. No. <laughs> I, no, I mean that sincerely. I've been I've been following your work for for so so many years, and and I find it very inspirational. Thank you, thank you, thank you for for coming on and having a chat to me. I really am grateful. Sure, no, thank you, thank you very much. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much, Peter Doyle. Uh, thank you for putting up with my anxiousness, my nervousness, my clumsiness, all of that kind of stuff. What do you do? You know, when you're really in awe of someone, uh, it's, well, I find it really hard to just kind of pretend or hide that, but, um, it was a great conversation and, uh, he's such a fascinating man. Thank you also to my executive producer, mixinglight.com and my friend of the show, Filmlight and to my producer, Kayla. And thank you for listening and, uh, like, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff because it does help. All right. See ya. The Color Timer, a micro podcast experience. Mm-hmm.